Jesus' name, amen. You may take your seats. I am thankful for our new singing group and uh, wanted to stand with them and sing. And those of you that are interested, uh, would like to make a joyful noise during this uh, Advent season, please see Sean as we're planning to put some special Christmas music together. If you could turn in your Bibles, we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. Uh, he's one of the prophets. He's one of the golden oldies. In fact, uh, those of you that are kind of uh, witty, I call these the Jedi prophets. You might say, Pastor, how do you call them the Jedi prophets? Well, there's five major prophets. They're the big guys. Uh, and there's actually four of them, but they have five big books. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Isaiah. Did you notice the uh, uh, Jeremiah did Lamentation as well? So the five big books, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Isaiah. So J for Jeremiah, uh, the uh, E for Ezekiel, the D for Daniel, and the I for Isaiah. So if you see those as the Jedi prophets, they're not special more than anybody else that was a prophet because they all carried the word of God. That's why when you bring the word cloud up today, you're going to see that that's one thing we are not ashamed of, the word of God. The Bible is central, and as you're sitting or participating with New Covenant Church, you should be able to count on the fact that we are Bible-believing. That means that we cherish the word as, the, uh, as, the, uh, as, the, as God breathed, to quote from, uh, from Paul when he told Timothy, these words in Scripture are able to make you wise unto God's salvation. In other words, they're our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But he says it's God-breathed and they're profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the men and women of God might be complete, thoroughly furnished to all good works. When you study the Word of God, it'll take you to the gospel. It'll lead you to Jesus Christ, the good news that's found there. And I do pray that all the other facets, whether it be generational, whether it be friendly or caring or focused on meeting for worship or even covenantal and reformed, all of these terms, they flow right out of a study of the Word of God. So now let us turn in our Bibles to the book of Daniel. And I'd like to be able to read the whole second chapter of Daniel, but our text is coming from uh, chapter 2 towards the beginning. But uh, if you could join with me, let us reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, infallible, inspired word as was given in the originals. In Daniel, it only has a number, it's relatively few chapters. We're going to be starting in chapter 2 today. And this is the story of Daniel coming into prominence. It's not the normal way. This was a difficult way. But as we study today, you're going to see that I believe that this is an introduction to Christ in the Old Testament. It's one of the golden oldies, and I hope you'll be able to pick it up. Let us read God's word. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in, and they stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Verse 4, then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. 
The king responded, the king answered and said to those Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Verse 7, the Chaldeans answered a second time and they said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. The king responded or answered them and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you, do not, if you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. Verse 11. The thing that the king asks is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men went, out, uh, went about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them too. Verse 14. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is this decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he may show, him the, interpreta show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel, he went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and his companions, his companions, the three, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then, then, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. To you, for you have given me wisdom and might. 
and have now made known to me what I asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and he said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. Verse 29, he begins to explain. To you, O king, as you laid in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what it is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than, any, uh, than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So Daniel goes on, speaking to the king, verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partially of iron and partially of clay. O king, as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet at the iron and clay, and it broke them in pieces. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer flesh threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could even be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and it filled the whole earth. Verse 36 this was the dream. This was the dream. But it's not done. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given you the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hands he has given wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heaven, making you rule over them, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to, to you shall arise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, 
because iron breaks into pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, iron, it shall be divided. It shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw an iron mixed with the soft clay. Verse 42. And as the toes of the feet were partially iron and partially clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. The word of God continues. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But, but Daniel remained at the king's court. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will help us to not just be uh, entertained and, and elevated in the reading of scripture, but we pray that by the reading of the word that faith will come that we will, like Daniel, get a glimpse of the glory that is being revealed. Lord, I pray that you might show us things that maybe we hadn't seen before. I do ask that we may understand the meaning of the stone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We stand here in 2022... And you hear a message like this, and you're saying, well, that was a long time ago. The truth is, is that, as Solomon said, things stay the same. There is nothing new under the sun. We're dealing with people. We're dealing with fallen people. Now, in this particular instance, I begin by, by offering a measure of hope. I go and take you to Jesus' words in John chapter 14, and in the first few verses there. Let not your heart be be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. I want you to see in this particular text today, a lot of hearts have been troubled. And I believe that many of us will be able to relate to a troubled heart. When, when John was trying to, to explain this, he was telling, he was echoing Jesus' words. Let not your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. And then he mentions heaven. And he mentions that he's going to fix a place in heaven for himself, right? Trick question. I go to prepare a place for 
you for us. And if I go and prepare this place for you, I will come again. See the advent? You see, there is a hope that is, mess that is here. People need hope. There is evidence that something is on the horizon. Something better is coming. Advent is the season of hope. It is a time when we challenge you, no matter where you are in your life, no matter if you're old or whether you're young, to look forward. And it's not that you're looking forward to Santa Claus coming to town. No, you're looking forward to Jesus coming. And how wonderful it would be uh, when, we, if, if, uh, when, when the trumpet sounds that we would all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that would be. That's for those who are in Christ. Prophecy has been given to people over and over and over since the time of Adam and Eve. As I mentioned, there are over 400 scriptures to give us hope of some future, of some positive. I think of my son's favorite verse from Jeremiah, where, where they had been in exile, and, and there was this prophecy that he says, that I have a future for you. I have a plan that, that is good. And see, when you go through all of the scriptures, you're going to find that from, from Genesis all the way through, there was hope offered. Let me just take you through a few. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Adam and Eve had just fallen into sin. They had just felt their nakedness and their shame. They were just pushed out of the garden. No longer would it, was it going to be an easy life. And God gives them a measure of hope. And he says in chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And then there's this prophecy that the seed of the woman is going to compete against Satan. And if you look at the text there, uh, between your offspring and her offspring, there's going to be conflict. But when you read the rest of the prophecy, yes, Satan's offspring or the demons are going to make it very difficult with a bruise. But the bruise or the crushing that's going to come is from the seed of the woman that will crush the serpent's head. Now, if I take you to another place of hope, some of you mentioned Isaiah. Uh, I want you to see it, chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah has just gotten a glimpse of the glory of the God in, in the earlier chapters of Isaiah. He's, whoa, it's me. He, he sees the holy, holy, holy God. And he doesn't feel worthy to be in his presence. And yet the revelation of hope was that there's going to be a child born. In fact, when you read there, therefore shall a, shall a virgin conceive and bring forth a, a child. That child will, uh, the son, and that son will be called, uh, the, uh, his name will be Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Isaiah explains quite a few things about uh, the scriptures. And Michael, uh, uh, excuse me, Micah chapter 5, uh, you also know a little bit more detail that there was a little town of Bethlehem that we sing about. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. And the reason why that was so significant is because 400 years before uh, Mary and Joseph made it to the fields of Bethlehem, the prophet Micah told us, out of you, oh, little, little town, will come the one. Do you see all these prophetic hopes, the light from the gold candle, the prophets who gave us, gave us hope after hope after hope? I begin this sermon having read the story. Let me just take you back as if you were one of Daniel's friends. You were living in the land of, you could call it the promised land. You were living in Judah. You had access to the things that were in Judah. The beautiful hills, uh, there's a lot of different in places of antiquity. If you were familiar with the scrolls, you would have seen some of the cool places that Abraham had, had dedicated. And, and you would just be familiar with that. 
I just had some uh, people from our old church go to Israel and come back, and they've sent us pictures after pictures after pictures. And I was just imagining what it was like if you had lived there. You would have seen where some of these kings were, where even Ahab and Jezebel, how their rule came to an end. You would, you would know some of these things firsthand. You'd know people who actually knew some of these things as well. But Daniel was a young man back in the early 600s B.C., he was a young guy, probably a teenager, maybe 15, 16. We don't know his exact age, but he was a young guy. What do young guys do? You know, they ride bikes, skateboards, all those kind of cool things, play video games. He didn't get to do those things. Daniel was a part of the elite. He was part of the, the folks who were, um, who were getting the special education. He was a part of the hierarchy in, in Bethlehem. Uh, he, was, he was a son of privilege. And so he had learned a few things, but the thing that he was going to learn the most was from the school of hard knocks. I don't even want to take you back there. Uh, an invading empire came in with superior numbers of troops. And they came in and they broke up Daniel's family. They took Daniel, they took a bunch of the young up-and-coming people that would have been in the college AP classes, you know, the folks that were the sharp characters, the ones that showed promise, the ones who had skills with musicians, uh, with music, the ones who could work with metals and all that. And, and these, this big army came in and they didn't compensate you. They didn't have eminent domain which said, oh yeah, we'll give you a fair deal. No, they came in, they said, you're coming with us. And you came. Daniel was uprooted. And he was taken far, far, far away. You've heard of we three kings from Orient far have carried gifts, traveled so far. Well, Daniel made the opposite journey. He left from the area of Jerusalem, which is only five kilometers from Bethlehem, and they made it the trip all the way to Babylon. When he's out there in Babylon, he hears the news about how it goes back in his homeland. Not good. They didn't even have to have the New York Times or the Washington Post or whatever, whatever TV show you would watch. The word was getting out that the people back home, they were suffering. They didn't have any advantage. The government was already a, a puppet government and it was being taken over. And finally in 586, which was only a, a, a less than two decades, Nebuchadnezzar's army goes back there and takes down the church. Block by block. All the gold came off because Nebuchadnezzar wanted it. He had heard about it from some loose lips that told him there were some neat treasures there. And the next thing you know, all of that was taken to Babylon. Now, the reason I'm walking you through this journey is that, is that Daniel has not had an easy life. He's been taken off to the University of Babylon, and he's been given a full scholarship. In this full scholarship, he also got free food. Uh, and all the things were added on. And the interesting thing is, is that if you were not a discerning person, guess what would have happened to you? You would have said, this is nice. No debt, no struggle. I'm going to have a good job. I'm going to have a, a place of prestige. And it, you can just see the mentality working through. And they took them so far away from their homeland and they gave them new names so that they wouldn't even recognize the Hebrew that they grew up with for the first 15 years. And basically, they were indoctrinating them to be global citizens. It is into that context that chapter 1, and we'll look at that in an upcoming week, we find Daniel saying, nope, I can't cave in. 
Now, chapter 2, we find Daniel in a new situation. He's living in this foreign territory. Things are okay. He, he, they're, not, you know, they're not putting him in solitary confinement. He's not having that much misery. But he's still a young guy, probably still under 20. You know, he, he, he knows that they're helpless. He knows the situation is dire, and he knows that he's not going to just be a one-man. You know, he's not going to be like Braveheart, and he's going to stand up and, and try to conquer and take over all of Babylon. So Daniel is faced with a dilemma. Now, in our story, Daniel doesn't do anything except hear the knock on the door from Arioch. You know, the big guy that worked with the king. This guy was like the Joint Chiefs of Staff major fellow. When he came in, you didn't mess with him. You know, he probably had his people with him, and they would do anything he asked them to do. And uh, if, if, if he spoke, it was done. He comes in, and he comes in for one purpose alone. He doesn't come in to negotiate with Daniel. What does he do? He comes in to kill him. I don't know about you, but that's something I haven't felt yet. You know, you, you might have felt somebody making accusations against you. You might have felt that somebody was surveilling you. You might have felt that, that, uh, that you got the short end of the stick when it came to, you know, when the police pulled you over because you might have been driving too fast, you know, and you, you got a ticket or something. You might have felt something not so good. Daniel, it doesn't get much lower. Your life is going to be gone in a couple seconds. It's in this situation that Daniel does what I advocate we all do, is ask better questions. Don't go crazy. Don't go ballistic. Ask better questions. So Daniel is a wise man. Daniel now looks at the situation. He says, you're coming to kill me. He says, let me ask you a question. Why the urgency? And then you hear the story unfold. And I guess what I want you to catch on to is it's pretty devastating. Because he hears that he's supposed to give information to the king that he doesn't have any access to. He doesn't have a computer. He can't Google it up. And even if he did, what would you Google up? He doesn't know what's going on inside the mind of the king. He doesn't know what the dream was that the king had in his bed the night before or the few nights before. Daniel doesn't have it all. But Daniel has something that most of the other ones didn't have. I want you to see if you can pick it up as we go through. Now, that is the preparation for the story. There's three points that I want to highlight, and then we'll make application. The three points are, all start with M. The first is about the matter, the second is about the mystery, and the third is about the message. These three points, about the matter, the mystery, and the message. Uh, these words are found actually in the text. The word matter shows up there in chapter 2, verses 15 and 17, also in verse 23. You can find the word mystery showing up in Chapter 2, verse 10, 19, and verse 28. You can also find the word message, or the, the idea of the message is the interpretation. Now, I'm going to explain this to you quickly, and then I'll show you how it fit with Daniel, now that you know the rest of the story. The first scenario that we find is that the matter, the matter that is the king's matter, that's how the, the prophet says it. If you look at verse 15 and 16 and 17, uh, I think it's said very well in these particular verses. Chapter 2, verse 15. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree so urgent? And Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. So you can see that this is a matter. 
This is what's actually happening. This is, this is the, uh, the, the story, the narrative. And Daniel went in and requested the king for this appointment. And verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to the three, three, three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, what is basically the matter? Let me just highlight it for you, real, real simple. The matter is, is there's a troubled man who lacked peace. There's a troubled person, the main character of the story. He lacks P-E-A-C-E. His heart is troubled. He could not fix it himself, and he did not have the confidence that other people would be able to fix it either. And, and when you think through this stuff, it is, he was going to try anything and everything to be able to get a resolution. But he didn't have peace. Now, this guy was not lacking resources. And if you look at the text, and you've heard it already, he was willing to put up a large sum of money to be able to, or he was going to grant you a lot of favor and prestige and honor if you could just help him out. But he had a troubled heart. He was not at peace. And so he, he, he tried to figure it out himself, but he couldn't even remember his own dream. I don't know about you, but I've had some cool dreams. I know they were cool. I can't remember any of them. Kind of, you get mad at yourself and say, come on, I want to be able to get it. You can't even, you know, go back to a hard drive and back it up, you know, and try to unpack it because it's not there. But if somebody would tell me the dream, I would say, that's it, that's it. It's interesting that Nebuchadnezzar is troubled because he can't even resolve it himself and he's not a dummy. You don't get to be the, the, the potentate of one of the biggest kingdoms there is if you don't know what's going on. He also, in the text, tells us that he didn't have confidence in the people around him. This is, this is troubling. This is troubling not only for the king, it's troubling for all the people that are around the king. Because the king is looking at them saying, are you guys phonies? Are you fakers? Are you just professional? Um, you just say the words that I want to hear? And you can already see the king has lost his confidence in, in the soothsayers, in the magicians, in the Chaldeans, all whatever fancy word, whatever fancy title. And you could dive in and see how each one had a, had a special niche. But he's lost confidence in it. And this is part of the matter. And when, he, when, when Arioch explains it to Daniel and Daniel explains it to the three friends, the matter is, is that somebody is troubled. They're not at peace. Because he was troubled, the wise men were troubled, Arioch was troubled. Arioch didn't want to go and kill all these elite people. And Daniel and his three friends, they were troubled too. Everybody is troubled because of the troubled king. Now, when you understand this, this is true of everybody. How many of you have no troubles? You know, when, when I read that verse in John chapter 14, and you all are familiar with it, let not your heart be troubled. Why in the world would John write that? Why would Jesus have to say that? It's because we're all prone to troubles. In fact, Jesus said sufficient unto every day is the troubles thereof. O King James. There's always going to be difficulties and things that you can't handle, things that you wish were different. And so when he basically gets to here, uh, the, the point I'm making is, is that you can't fix the troubles. You might try to gloss over them. You might try to ignore them. You might try to outrun them, but you can't do it. That's why we have troubled hearts. 
In Romans chapter 1, there are several verses there when, when the apostle is explaining to the people in Rome that he's not ashamed of Jesus and the gospel. But he says the wrath of the Father is going to be poured out in Romans 1.18. But then he goes on and explains about God's wrath is poured out on unrighteous people. And those people, that's, that's us, that's human beings. Everywhere you look, you find an unrighteous soul. At least you were born in sin and trespasses. Or as it says in, uh, in the Old Testament, in that Psalms, in sin did my mother conceive me. In iniquity, I was shapened. Now, when you realize that we can't fix it and we're without excuse, this part of this troubling is that we know that something is better. In Romans 1, the people, they, they, start, they start giving their affinity to earthly things, to the birds and to the fish and to the, um, to the cars and to the computers and to whatever else that's human. You look around today and that's where all the idols are. We look and we see this and this and this and this and we give our time. In fact, on Black Friday... Even I did. I had to have that. Couldn't pass up that deal. You know what it's like when the things of this earth, they don't go strangely dim, they go strangely bright. Okay, and so when you look around, you see all of these things. And, and the sad thing is, is that the trouble of Nebuchadnezzar is the same as the trouble of the people in Romans 1. It's the same as our trouble. And that is we have a, a vacuum-shaped, a, a God-shaped vacuum in our soul. We know that there's something more. We know we're without excuse. We know it. Nebuchadnezzar was aware of this dream. And he was aware that there was trouble because of that dream. He woke up from that dream and he didn't say, wow, it was a cool roller coaster ride. You know, even though he couldn't remember it. You know, if you have a fun dream, you don't woke, wake up sweating. This guy woke up and he was so troubled, he went to the point of saying, everybody is going to die if they don't tell me what it is. Because I know it's ominous. I know it's awful. This is not what I want, but i got to know. And this is the place where I'm saying we're troubled. The matter is, is that we're not at peace. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted to get that peace. Now, the second part is the mystery. When you start getting into the mystery aspects of things, uh, it is very, very interesting. If you look at chapter 2, verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10, you can see how the, the word begins to shape up. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing from us. So you can see already there that they're saying, Hey, this is not possible on earth. Now, if, if I take you to a couple other verses there to move over to verse 19. You can see, then the mystery was finally revealed to Daniel in a vision. Now, this means that there is things that were hidden that are now revealed. It's almost like there was a curtain that was closed, and now the curtain is opened. To the people who are troubled, including all the magicians and all the wise people, the, the curtain is still closed. We can't see it. We can't figure it out. It's like there's a piece missing. P-I-E-C-E. They're trying to put the puzzle together. Now, if you listen closely to the spokesperson that had the ear of the king, he said, King, he said, just tell us a little bit of your dream, and then we'll fill in the rest of the puzzle pieces. Give us the frame. What a smart move. And the king says, come on, what do I pay you for? And the king says, mm -mm, I'm not going for that. Then the guy comes back, and he says, King, just give us a couple of pieces. 
P-I-E-C-E-S. We just need a little bit to work on, and then we can make the whole story up, and we can, we can show you everything you want to hear and show you everything you want to see, and you can see the king's eyes are opened up bigger than ever. You know, it's almost like one of those emojis that you send by texting. You know, the giant eyes. You guys are fakes. You're just stalling for time. I mean, you could just imagine how he's speaking the truth in front of these people. He says, you know that I'm speaking firmly, and you're afraid, and that's why you're stalling for time. You're hoping that I'll get senile and forget. You can just see the wheels turning and the truth being told. But the mystery still isn't being unfolded. It's still not being clarified. The mystery. This is fascinating. No, it's not merely caused by a lack of recollection. It's mostly caused by a lack of revelation. You see, interestingly enough, the king knew what he had dreamed. He just couldn't recall it. But he would have been able to tell you that this was not the dream if you made up something that wasn't true. So he had some recollection, but God wasn't allowing him to put his finger on it. The issue here was there was a lack of revelation. And when you're in a secular world, guess what you're lacking? God's revelation. When you, when you look into the Old Testament in Amos, he says, the people perish because they don't have the word of God. They, they, they don't have the revelation. I always like to say that our Bibles are simply, if you put it into one word, it is revelation from God. God showed us things in here, and they're not found anywhere else. You can find fingerprints of God in nature, and there's a lot of other places. You can see beauty. You can see sin. But when you look at the word of God, you get to hear from God himself. Revelation is needed. Mastery of this is necessary. Some of you like the... um, some science fiction movies. And, I, and I, I was liking the situation that Daniel, excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar knew that there was more. It wasn't just that he, that he was without excuse. He actually knows that there's a whole nother layer to all of this. There's a, he wouldn't have called it a spiritual layer, but he was calling it a layer that's beyond just his physical experience. There was a, an ecstasy or there was some other realm and, uh, and for lack of a better thing, I'm going to use the uh, Matrix movie as an illustration, you know, where you're in one, but you're living in another. Or for those of you that don't watch that sci-fi stuff, let me take you to C.S. Lewis to Narnia. Have you been to Narnia? You know, at first through the line, the witch in the wardrobe, you just have to go through the wardrobe, and there you're in Narnia. And you get to see this whole spiritual realm that's at the same time existing as the physical realm that you're, that you're actually living in. And that's what I think is part of the mystery, is that the people that are living in this physical realm, they don't understand the things of the Spirit of God. It's foolishness to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 ends up saying in verse 14 that the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. It's foolishness to them. Neither can they discern them. They, they're spiritually blind. They don't get it. And when you go through, the, even the wisdom of this world... They look at us and say, you guys are crazy because they're not in the spiritual dimension. They're not understanding the mind of Christ. They're not being led by the Spirit. They're being led by their own hearts. When I look at this mystery, the mystery is the unknown. Nebuchadnezzar knows there is more, but he can't get to it. And he goes to his religious community, his smart preachers, and they don't know it either. And that's the fear that I have even in modern-day America. You may be looking for something more. You may feel the emptiness in your soul that you don't have assurance of heaven. You don't have anything that you can really be positive about the future. But you know, you know that there's something more. 
and, you, and some of you have relatives that go to these places called churches, and, and you're not confident that if they go to the church that, the, that you'll get any good counsel. It'll be just like the wise guys that were telling Nebuchadnezzar what he wanted to hear, but not the truth. Revelation is needed. Divine insight is, has to come into our lives. Uh, we, cannot, we cannot operate and know the truth without God showing it to us, opening our eyes. The revelation of God is God-breathed. If you do bring 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses uh, 14, 15, 16, and 17, right there at the end, after Paul is writing to Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, he ends up saying, hey, when you were a young child, all the stuff, you were studying the word, it was able to make you wise into salvation. If you look there, you've learned and you firmly believe it. If you turn to the next verse, you can see in verse 15, you, from childhood, you have got, looked at these scrolls. You've looked at the Old Testament writings. You've seen the golden oldies. And if you go to the next verse, you can see that's why he can definitively tell you that all of these writings from God, the grapho, grapho, God breathed them out. They are revelation. They're from the other dimension. They're from God down into our world, into this earth. I can tell you that Deuteronomy 8, Moses said it and Jesus quoted it, but he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You've all heard my favorite verse from Proverbs 3, verse 6 where if you trust in the Lord, instead of leaning on your own understanding, he'll make your path clear. He'll give you that divine insight to show you even the earthly path. And in Psalm 119, 105, the huge psalm right there in the middle, he says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Uh, psalm 119, 105, thy word is a light unto my path. When you start to realize that the revelation from God helps you to get through the darkness, helps you to know the right way. So we examine the mystery. Now I want, thirdly, to echo the message. This is where the stone comes into play. And now that you can see, the matter is that people don't have a peace in their heart, P-E-A-C-E. -E. They need the mystery to be revealed. They need a piece of information, P-I-E-C-E, -E, to help fill in the gaps. And this is the message Daniel chapter 2, verse 31 through 35. The first part of the message is the dream. Now, when you read, read the dream, what did you see? I quickly wanted to tell you what Nebuchadnezzar saw. Nebuchadnezzar saw this beautiful image. Nebuchadnezzar paid attention, no doubt, to the image, and he's like, wow, shiny. You know, he was captivated by it. I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar figured out the rest of the story. I think there was one thing that he probably heard. And let me, let me uh, listen to how the story comes. He says, uh, you saw, O king, this is verse 31. You saw a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was gold, and then he mentions all the other parts of it. Verse 34, and as you looked, you saw a stone that was cut out by no human hand, and it broke it in pieces. Then the iron and clay, verse 35 uh, all of these things together were broken, and they were blown away. Now, in verse 36, after he's heard this dream, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is probably, oh, yeah, that's it, that's it, that's it. You can probably say, the light bulb went on, you know, wow. And I can guarantee that he was riveted to what Daniel was going to tell him next. So what is this revelation? Verse 36, this was the dream 
Now let me tell you what it means. This is the message from God for you. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given you the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory. He starts off by saying, king, yes, you're a king, but God above gave you that kingdom. Then he goes on to say in verse 38, and into whose hand he has given a bunch of stuff. He mentions uh, dwellings, the children of men, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven. If you lived back in those days, you got to see one of the seven wonders of the world, the hanging gardens of Babylon. It was a beautiful place. All the gold that they collected, they put a lot of it on some of the gateways. It was a masterful place to be. In verse 39, uh, no, at the end of verse 38, he says, you are the head of gold. And I think Nebuchadnezzar heard that. That's great. But then verse 38, excuse me, verse 39, look at how it starts. Another kingdom shall arise after you. I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar heard anything else after that. Here's a guy who has everything at his disposal. And he likes being the head of gold. But he doesn't like being replaced. And what he hears is... Uh-oh. Now, I think that if you look at the troubled heart that he had, now that he's actually got divine revelation, do you think he gets the gospel right? No. He realizes that there's somebody out there. There's, there's another realm for sure. You know, he would maybe take the red pill now. Pardon the Matrix illustration. I mean, he, he's, he's, he's ready to say, hey, there must be more. But did he really get it? The answer is no. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He ends up remembering the image, and then he makes a whole image of gold. You know, one that's 75 feet tall and 18 feet wide. Or it's, it's really huge. And guess what? It's all gold. It's not silver, bronze, and iron. You know what Nebuchadnezzar remembered? I'm the gold, and I want to keep it that way. Now, that's part of the troubling spirit that comes in this message, is that God is going to take you down. For those of you that are acting like Nebuchadnezzar that think you have everything under control, God will surprise you. He can do it in a myriad of different ways. For Nebuchadnezzar, he already is showing him that you are what Solomon was going to say later. You are just vain and it's all empty. You know, somebody, I think in Ecclesiastes it says, don't you know that all, you, you hate your labor because you realize that it's going to be left to somebody else. Hey, Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, all this great kingdom, somebody else is going to rule over it, and you won't be. It's really interesting when you look at that. And Daniel, this message that really comes through is first a message to Daniel and then to, from Daniel to the king. The first thing, Daniel sees it and he says, wow. Did you hear how Daniel responded when he got this mystery revealed to him, when divine revelation came? If you have your Bibles open, I'll just quickly highlight a couple of those things. Verse 20, Daniel says to the God of heaven, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs the wisdom and might. God, you change the times and you change the seasons. You can remove kings and you can set up kings. You can give wisdom to the wise and you can give knowledge to people who already have some understanding. You can reveal deep and hidden things. You know what is in the darkness because you are in the light. I mean, just look at that. Brothers and sisters, when you feel tempted in the coming year that you're going to feel like everything is out of control, the message should be, go back to what Daniel learned. The message is that God is God. 
God is God. Now, from that message, you see the response of a Christian person. That's what should happen to us when we, our hearts are troubled. God, you are God. Now, the other thing that Daniel does real quick is that he, when he realizes the dire situation, he actually gets three of his friends together. And what do they do? Do they cast lots? They buy the last lottery ticket. They catch a ship to Tarsus. No. What do they do? You know the answer. She knows the answer. Do you know the answer? They prayed. They talked to God because they know who God is. The message is, is that God is on his throne. Talk to him. And this is why in the next chapter you find the three friends, when they're just about ready to be thrown into the fiery furnace, guess what they do? They say, we have a God, and he can save us if he wants to, but we have a God that's better than you. If you trust in God like that, you don't have to fear any of the other things. David said in Psalm 2, if you have that verse up there, Psalm 2, it says, why do the heathen rage? Why do the people imagine these vain things? It's pretty amazing how bad it can be, and yet God is on his throne. The final look here is the application for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar realizes that he doesn't have all power. He recognizes that there is a God that's bigger than him and better than him, but his memory is short-term. It's temporary faith. He's going through life. He struggles with pain. He leans on the truth for a moment, and then before long, he's back to trusting himself. There's a lot of people that you know, and maybe even you, when you go through the crisis, you ask for help. That's real faith, but it's not saving faith. Saving faith is when you rest in what Christ has done in eternal life. And that is where I finish with the rock. This rock that I have standing before me is a reminder of the gospel that you find in Daniel. That when he has painted this picture of this image, the image is, is to the glory of man. When you look through and you see the Babylonian, the Babylonian power, and then you see the Medo-Persia power, and then you can see the Greek power with Alexander the Great conquering the known world. And then, of course, he died at a young age. I wonder how he died. Did that happen by accident? The next thing you know, his great vast empire is broken into four parts, and then it doesn't stand against the iron of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire is kind of symbolic for all of Europe, and then when you realize that, that you have this clay mixed with the iron, and so you have this, this marriage stuff, which is explained in the text, that it's a loose confederation that, that you find in, in Europe. But in all of these great earthly powers where they, they conquered and they took over and they even had a common language, they, they had common roads, they did all these great things. Wow, look at the, each one of those empires. The rock seems to come out of nowhere. Crash! I can't even throw it. The idea of a rock crashing destroys everything. Now, most of you won't look at the Advent season and say, Wow, baby Jesus came and he crashed the party. <laughs> baby Jesus came and he changed everything. Everything. The kingdoms of this world, the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're like the chaff that the wind blows away. Have you heard those words before? David said that, that that's what the wicked are like. They'll not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. It's so interesting when you see that you don't want to be on the world's side. 
You don't want to plot against the Lord's anointed. When the king comes, when the rock not fashioned with hands comes to this world, I want you to know that he changes everything. He changes your heart. I'm going to get into more detail, but how does he change your heart? The rock doesn't come in here and just destroy you. The rock comes, and the way that he destroys the prince and power of the air and the bondage over you is that this rock comes, and he goes to the cruel cross. Greater love could not have been shown. And when he hung there on Calvary's cross, on Golgotha's hill, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Jesus was telling us, I'm fulfilling the Old Testament. I am going to be forsaken by the Father because as Isaiah said it, the iniquity of us all was laid upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Brothers and sisters, Daniel looked forward to the gospel. It was going to come and it was going to defeat all the great powers and armies of this world. And he did it. The rock made without hands. The one born of a woman that didn't have an earthly dad. Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, went to the cross to conquer, to conquer death for us. See if you can finish this verse from Romans 11. What shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Neither death, nor heights, nor principality. Now, nothing can separate us from the love of God. What he did when he came to this world in fulfillment of all the prophecies was to crush Satan's plan. The head of the serpent. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we have heard many of these prophecies. These prophecies that Nebuchadnezzar heard with his own ears but didn't grasp. He didn't understand the focus on the rock that would, that would make waste all the kingdoms of this world. Lord, when we read in the New Testament, Jesus said he was going to build the church upon a rock. And that rock, uh, the word Petrus, but it actually is upon the truth, the confession that Peter gave, that was not by man. It wasn't generated by Peter. It was, it was not by flesh and blood, but by the Father revealing it to Peter, that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God, he's the anointed one. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. As John the baptizer said, he is the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, to take away our sin. Lord, we thank you that the rock has come and that it has crushed and defeated the evil. And thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you that this salvation is already complete in justification, but we await the award, uh, the, we await your return. We await being liberated from these mortal bodies when we still have troubled hearts, when we have weak faith, when we look at earthly things instead of looking into your full and wonderful face. Lord, I do pray that you will strengthen our faith for having been here. May this Advent season be a time when we run to you, for you are like no other, one fashioned without hands. God incarnate, O come, O come, Emmanuel, but also, O come to my heart, Lord Jesus. Make room. In Jesus' name, amen.